if you have a Bible with you, John chapter 1 today, verses 35 to 45. Next handful of sermons won't necessarily fit into a, a series per se, uh, but want to do just a little bit of uh, vision casting for those of you who may not have heard uh, the changes in our Constitution were approved at 76%, and I want to just cast a little bit of vision moving forward of how we can begin to think about our lives in Christ and our service to uh, Him together. And so I encourage you to uh, think in those uh, lines, uh, make yourselves open to how God might be uh, leading and working. So uh, today, uh, some great principles of discipleship from John chapter 1. Uh, here we go, verses 35 through 45. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Disciples in the beginning, our title for today uh, a way to, to work through and to think through uh, this passage, the turning of the initial uh, men who would, who would follow Jesus for three years of his public ministry. Uh, I want us to begin today by thinking about things that are really impressive. And so I will, I will confess to you that I found this on a, on a Google search, I typed in impressive human feats or something like that. And uh, I'm going to give you a, 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 an idea of a really impressive feat of human strength. Now, you might recognize this. Uh, if you're viewing, I guess this is going to be right here <laughs> over my shoulder. Uh, you might recognize this picture as a guy who's doing a plank. And so if you're at home... I'm actually going, especially if you have children uh, that are in the room, I'm going to have everybody get down and do a plank, all right? So, so watch this out. I'm going to try to get into formation myself, and we're going to just kind of do this together. So I invite you to get up, uh, get into your best plank formation, and uh, we're going to do this for just a little bit. 
Okay. In my mind, I'm already out of breath. I counted to about 10. I'm getting comments down here from the peanut gallery uh, in, in the room and how this is working. But I found this uh, guy. His name is George Hood. Don't look him up right now. But uh, when he was 54 years old, he set a world record for the longest plank. If the average person held that position, you'd really start to feel it. Even if you're in shape, you'd start to feel it at a minute or maybe a minute and a half. You're going to start to feel your body begin to, to shake or tremble or uh, the stress of trying to hold that position. George Hood held that position at 54 years old for one hour and 20 minutes. I'm not making this up. You can look it up on the internet. Then, apparently somebody destroyed his record and so he got serious he's I'm gonna double down I'm going after this in the pandemic in 2020 at 62 years old George Hood set the record again impressive human feat of over eight hours you know what I think of when I think of somebody who's willing to hold a plank for eight hours Get a life. Find something better to do with your time. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine in being in this position for eight hours? That's what it took for him to reset the record because somebody upped their game and, and beat him. Now, our sermon today is not about your physical fitness or how long you can hold a plank. And if you're at home, you can let yourself down. <laughs> Parents, you can let the kids down if you're struggling, if you're trembling, if you're sweating. Uh, go get a glass of water as we get going. Um, hey, people do impressive things. And I, I want to draw, I'll use John the Baptist in this, in this passage from John chapter 1. I want to use him as a contrast in, in this uh, whole idea of making disciples because he was an impressive Man, And if we just went looking for what impresses us, somebody like George Hood, and that wasn't George Hood, by the way. That was just some guy uh, on the Internet whose picture we used to show what a plank formation was. Uh, however, I want to use John the Baptist to get us thinking about impressive people. All right, disciples are drawn to truth. John the Baptist was an impressive impressive guy here's what it says Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins this is a serious amount of public ministry it, it indicates that people from all over the region were coming out to hear John the Baptist and many of them were uh, being baptized in the process. You can do a character study on John the Baptist. I'm going to keep moving this morning. The point that I want to make in saying that disciples are drawn to truth is I want to point out the minute that somebody better than John the Baptist came along, I want you to see what happens, okay? The minute Jesus shows up, John puts himself under somebody else's power, and influence he is humble and he is true to his calling as someone who is the forerunner of Jesus 
his entire life, the ministry, the crowds, it had all been about Jesus. He had already made this distinction. If you read the first part of John chapter 1, you see that the Pharisees come and they talk to John the Baptist. They, he's drawing a crowd. They're envious. They want to know why he's there. What are you doing? And he told them, I'm not the Christ. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not who, I'm not that guy. Uh, I, but, but prepare your hearts. Make a way for, for the Lord. And get yourselves ready for the Messiah because he's coming. And so his whole ministry was to prepare for somebody else. He had told them who he wasn't. The most important person to John the Baptist was the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. The first time he said it, the day before, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And what does Andrew do in what we read today? He goes to Jesus. Disciples are drawn to truth. He leaves the impressive, the humble, the human being greatly used by God. He leaves John the Baptist because he's drawn to the truth of Jesus. Disciples love Jesus, and they don't let people or amazing leaders block their view. They're drawn to the truth of who Christ is. No matter how amazing a Christian leader is, everybody has their flaws and will stumble and have difficult times. We're humans. We have sin in our lives. Jesus never will. He takes away the sin of the world. It's hope and it's truth. And there's never going to be anybody like Jesus to draw us to follow him because he is truth. All right, so disciples are drawn to truth. That's number one. I encourage you to do a little more uh, digging really on any of this, uh, but look, look into that idea of them uh, being willing to go to Jesus and that John the Baptist doesn't try to prevent them. Uh, he, is, he is good because the, the true Messiah of God has come, and they want to celebrate that. Second, Disciples blab about truth. I tried to go with some unconventional words. Don't know if you printed out your bulletin. You got that blank. You're trying to figure out what was going in there today. Uh, disciples blab about truth. You might blab about George Hood. Hey, I heard in the sermon that this guy held a plank for eight hours. You might be tempted to kind of talk about that. If I was going to set a record for anything, it'd be like I ate the most fudge rounds or something. And so we blab about these things that, that we see. We blab about these things that impress us. One of the biggest desires of our church and our leadership moving forward is to be obedient to the Great Commission. We believe in making disciples. I, as your pastor, desire to teach you not only how to follow Jesus and be obedient to him, but to encourage others and to teach them to do the same. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when he first said that, nothing really happened. Not that we know of. So the next day, he says it again. And then, Andrew follows. He keeps blabbing about the truth of who Jesus is. Here's a reminder of the way uh, the commission looks. Jesus came and said to them, this is his disciples, after he had risen from the dead. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son 
and of the Holy Spirit. It's the first couple of verses of it. I just want you to get the feel for what that is. But Matthew 28 and passages uh, like Acts 1-8, I'll go back to Psalm 119 in a minute, they're not the beginning of making disciples. Think about that. Matthew 28 isn't the, the primer. It isn't the first idea uh, time the idea is introduced that somebody would, would follow Jesus or become a disciple or may have a disciple being made. hope you get excited thinking about this. Hope you get excited about the power of God moving and changing lives. We see Peter's life change. We see Jesus in verse 42 put a call upon Peter. I hope that uh, the idea of this excites you, that you do want to, to blab about it. I hope your own experience <laughs> makes you want to blab about the truth. Now, I said this isn't the beginning of, of making disciples or disciples blabbing about truth. I want you to take you all the way back to the Old Testament. I just happened to pick out Psalm 119. There are several examples of this idea in, in the Psalms and throughout the Old Testament where we see the people of God blabbing about the praise of God, blabbing about the truth of God, using their lips to declare the accurate and the wonderful and the truthful praise and i don't mean blab in a sloppy kind of a way but just i can't stop talking about how amazing god is here's uh, verse 13 with my lips i declare all the rules of your mouth i declare the law of god that i want to follow and 33 and 34, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your whole law and observe it with my whole heart. The desire here is obedience. It's not just to talk. It's when we have the word of God, when we have the commands of God, that we want to take them into our heart and that we want to be obedient. And part of obedience is blabbing about God. God's people have always talked about him and so we shouldn't be surprised to see the idea that those who follow God in the New Testament uh, when disciples follow Jesus that one of the key roots of being a disciple is letting the world know let's look specifically at what Andrew and Philip do if you still have your Bible with you get your eyes lasered in on on verse 41 it says he first found his own brother Simon and said to him we have found the Messiah which means Christ that's what Andrew did when he found Jesus he went and found his own brother and said we found the Messiah and look down in verse 45 Philip <laughs> Philip had just followed Jesus and what did he do in verse 45 he found Nathanael and said to him we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Their claims are anchored in truth and prophecy. They were able to recognize a truthfulness, a godliness in Jesus that they haven't seen before. They know that he is the Messiah and instantly they are proclaiming that he is the one who would come and fulfill the promises of the Old Testament. That's their claim, they're stirred. And they go and they find somebody and they tell them toward the end of my research uh, process this week I came across this gem uh, just happened across this paragraph in JC Ryle's commentary on the Gospel of John it's a little bit lengthy of a paragraph but I, I want to read this because it enforces the necessity of us to focus 
on Jesus in, in what we share with the world around us. This simple story is a pattern of the way in which good has been done to souls in every age of the Christian church. By such testimony as that before us and by none else, men and women are converted and saved. It is by exalting Christ, not the church, Christ, not the sacraments, Christ, not the ministry. It is by this means that hearts are moved and sinners are returned to God. To the world, such testimony may seem weakness and foolishness. Yet, like the ram's horns before whose blast the walls of Jericho fell down, this testimony is mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. The story of the crucified Lamb of God has proved in every age the power of God unto salvation. Those who have done most for Christ's cause in every part of the world have been men like John the Baptist. They have not cried, Behold me! Or behold the church! Or behold the ordinances! But behold the Lamb! If souls are to be saved, people must be pointed directly to Christ. Disciples blab about truth and the truth of Jesus. Finally, disciples follow. They recognize truth. Here's what we need to see. For some people, the truth of Jesus is very interesting. I've met people like this. They find Jesus to be a, a captivating figure. I've even found people who really like to talk to others about Jesus. But do you know it's possible to have both of these things and, and maybe even other things like, hey, I, I go to church or I, I read the Bible or I have a Bible calendar. It's possible to do any of those things and not, yet not follow Jesus and not have made a commitment. It's easy to kind of do the things that Jesus' followers do and mimic them without having a true commitment in our hearts. And so it's important to me today to put your eyes on the word follow. Disciples follow, recognizing truth. The way the early disciples followed clearly meant a major shift in their priorities. They turned away from what they were doing, left everything, and followed Jesus. This did not make them perfect. Actually, their decision to follow Jesus as the truth did more to reveal their imperfections than just trying to follow the laws of the Old Testament and kind of figuring, hey, maybe we're just as good as somebody else or better than a few. So I don't think I'm calling you to, to be a disciple or to make disciples uh, or challenging you to follow Jesus because it will make you compare favorably to somebody else. In fact, what it will do is even more so reveal the imperfections that you and I have. The challenge is to walk in faith and to trust that God will use us all of our slip-ups and all. We're willing to live this way because it's true. We're willing to make sacrifice in our lives because it's true. We're willing to blab about truth, recognize truth, rearrange our priorities because of truth, because we recognize the truth of Jesus. It doesn't have anything to do with standing in an organization. It doesn't have anything to do with cultural influence. For Bible-believing Christians, cultural influence is largely out the window. But it's because of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
I'm going to close by just explaining that concept. You may be unfamiliar with the idea of the Lamb of God. The Lamb in the Bible is a sacrificial offering. We see it in a couple of really visible places in the Old Testament. And if you're thinking to yourself at home, if you know a little bit about the Bible, one of those places that may be coming to mind is the story of the Passover. Right before God's people left Egypt, the plague of the Passover hit the land of Egypt. The people of Israel, God's people who were living in Egypt, were to kill a lamb and put its blood on the doorpost. And then when the angel of death came to kill the firstborn in the land, there would be a distinction between the people of Egypt and the people of Israel who were living in that land. And what I want you to see here is that the sacrificial blood of the lamb covered those households. The angel didn't stop in to check on the character of those people. He stopped to check to see if there was blood. That's the truth to which we should be drawn. The Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world because he shed his blood for you and for me. And it's true. It rearranges our lives. It rearranges our priorities. And with the same spirit and abandon, we want to passionately and fervently follow what Jesus wants us to do. So we're drawn to truth. We're blabbing about truth and following Jesus, the truth of who he is. It is a truth that changes our lives and rearranges our priorities. Does your growth and experience as a disciple include these elements that we see in the earliest of disciples of our Lord Jesus? Some ways to respond. First, evaluate. Don't let my words challenge you or, or J.C. Ryle. Ask the Holy Spirit to help. We're going to pray in a moment and give some time to, for God to sift our hearts and help us sift this out in our minds. Second, make a commitment. If it's been a while since you've blabbed the truth of Jesus to somebody, uh, ask God for the boldness and the courage to share with somebody that comes to mind, somebody that's on your heart who doesn't have the hope of Jesus. Make a commitment to do that and ask God for the courage and trust him with the results of that conversation. Maybe it's asking, uh, lastly, maybe it's asking for a refreshed commitment to follow Jesus, a desire to grow, maybe to see God-sized prayers asked and answered and happenings in our community or in our church, that we're in this together and on a team together. I hope and pray that these are the types of things that mark us as followers of Jesus, that we can look in the initial accounts of people turning from their lives and following Jesus, and we can mimic those together by God's strength and power.